Section 117 of Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Natter. The World's Story, Volume 11. Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 117. The First Landing of Columbus, 1492. By Ferdinand Columbus, son of Christopher Columbus. On Monday, the 8th of October, twelve singing birds of various colors came to the ship, and after flying round it for a short time, held on their way. Many other birds were seen from the ship flying towards the southwest, and that same night, great numbers of large fowl were seen, and flocks of small birds proceeding from the northwards, and all going to the southwest. In the morning a jay was seen, with an alcatraz, several ducks, and many small birds, all flying the same way with the others, and the air was perceived to be fresh and odoriferous, as it is at Seville in the month of April. But the people were now so eager to see land, and had been so often disappointed, that they ceased to give faith to these continual indications, insomuch that on Wednesday, the 10th, although abundance of birds were continually passing both by day and night, they never ceased to complain. The admiral upbraided their want of resolution, and declared that they must persist in their endeavours to discover the Indies, for which he and they had been sent out by their Catholic majesties. It would have been impossible for the admiral to have much longer withstood the numbers which now opposed him, but it pleased God that in the afternoon of Thursday, the 11th of October, such manifest tokens of being near the land appeared that the men took courage and rejoiced at their good fortune as much as they had been before distressed. From the admiral's ship a green rush was seen to float past, and one of these green fish, which never go far from the rocks, the people in the Pinta saw a cane and a staff in the water, and took up another staff very curiously carved, and a small board, and great plenty of weeds were seen which seemed to have been recently torn from the rocks. Those of the Nina, besides similar signs of land, saw a branch of a thorn full of red berries, which seemed to have been newly torn from the tree. From all these indications, the admiral was convinced that he now drew near to the land, and after the evening prayers he made a speech to the men, in which he reminded them of the mercy of God in having brought them so long a voyage with such favourable weather, and in comforting them with so many tokens of a successful issue to their enterprise, which were now every day becoming plainer and less equivocal. He besought them to be exceedingly watchful during the night, as they well knew that in the first article of the instructions which he had given to all the three ships before leaving the Canaries, they were enjoined, when they should have sailed seven hundred leagues west without discovering land, to lay to every night from midnight till daybreak. And, as he had very confident hopes of discovering land that night, he required everyone to keep watch at their quarters, and besides the gratuity of thirty crowns a year for life, which had been graciously promised by their sovereigns to him that first saw the land, he engaged to give the fortunate discoverer a velvet doublet from himself. After this, as the admiral was in his cabin about ten o'clock at night, he saw a light on shore, but it was so unsteady that he could not certainly affirm that it came from land. 
He called to one Peter Gutierrez, and desired him to try if he could perceive the same light, who said he did, but one Roderick Sanchez of Segovia, on being desired to look the same way, could not see it, because he was not up time enough, as neither the admiral nor Gutierrez could see it again above once or twice for a short space, which made them judge it to proceed from a candle or torch belonging to some fisherman or traveller who lifted it up occasionally and lowered it again, or perhaps from people going from one house to another, because it appeared and vanished again so suddenly. Being now very much on their guard, they still held on to their course until about two in the morning of Friday the 12th of October, when the Pinta, which was always far ahead, owing to her superior sailing, made the signal of seeing land, which was first discovered by Roderick de Triana, at about two leagues from the ship, but the thirty crowns a year were afterwards granted to the admiral, who had seen the light in the midst of darkness, a type of the spiritual light, which he was the happy means of spreading in these dark regions of error. Being now so near land, all the ships lay to, everyone thinking it long till daylight, that they might enjoy the sight they had so long and anxiously desired. When daylight appeared, the newly discovered land was perceived to consist of a flat island fifteen leagues in length, without any hills, all covered with trees, and having a great lake in the middle. The island was inhabited by great abundance of people, who ran down to the shore, filled with wonder and admiration at the sight of the ships, which they conceived to be some unknown animals. The Christians were not less curious to know what kind of people they had fallen in with, and the curiosity on both sides was soon satisfied, as the ships soon came to anchor. The admiral went on shore with his boat well armed, and having the royal standard of Castile and Leon displayed, accompanied by the commanders of the other two vessels, each on his own boat, carrying the particular colours which had been allotted for the enterprise, which were white with a green cross and the letter F on the side, and on the other the names of Ferdinand and Isabella crowned. The whole company kneeled on the shore and kissed the ground for joy, returning God thanks for the great mercy they had experienced during their long voyage through seas hitherto unpassed, and their now happy discovery of an unknown land. The admiral then stood up and took formal possession in the usual words for the Catholic majesties of the island, to which he gave the name of San Salvador. All the Christians present admitted Columbus to the authority and dignity of admiral and viceroy, pursuant to the commission which he had received to that effect, and all made oath to obey him as the legitimate representative of their Catholic majesties, with such expressions of joy and acknowledgment as became their mighty success. And they all implored his forgiveness of the many affronts he had received from them through their fears and want of confidence. Numbers of the Indians, or natives of the island, were present at these ceremonies, and perceiving them to be peaceable, quiet, and simple people, the admiral distributed several presents among them. To some he gave red caps, and to others strings of glass beads, which they hung about their necks, and various other things of small value, which they valued as if they had been jewels of high price. After the ceremonies, the admiral went off in his boat, and the Indians followed him even to the ships, some by swimming, and others in their canoes, carrying parrots, clues of spun cotton-yard, javelins, and other such trifling articles, to barter for glass beads, bells, and other things of small value. 
Like people in the original simplicity of nature, they were all naked, and even a woman who was among them was entirely destitute of clothing. Most of them were young, seemingly not above thirty years of age, of a good stature, with very thick black lank hair, mostly cut short above their ears, though some had it down to their shoulders, tied up with a string about their head like women's dresses. Their countenances were mild and agreeable, and their features good, but their foreheads were too high, which gave them rather a wild appearance. They were of a middle stature, plump and well-shaped, but of an olive complexion, like the inhabitants of the Canaries, or sunburned peasants. Some were painted with black, others with white, and others again with red. In some the whole body was painted, in others only the face, and some only the nose and eyes. They had no weapons like those of Europe, neither had they any knowledge of such, for when our people showed them a naked sword, they ignorantly grasped it by the edge. Neither had they any knowledge of iron, as their javelins were merely constructed of wood, having their points hardened in the fire, and armed with a piece of fishbone. Some of them had scars of wounds on different parts, and being asked by signs how these had been got, they answered by signs that people from other islands came to take them away, and that they had been wounded in their own defence. They seemed ingenious and of a voluble tongue, as they readily repeated such words as they once heard. There were no kind of animals among them excepting parrots, which they carried to barter with Christians among the articles already mentioned, and in this trade they continued on board the ships till night, when they all returned to the shore. In the morning of the next day, being the 13th of October, many of the natives returned on board the ships in their boats or canoes, which were all of one piece, hollowed like a tray from the trunk of a tree. Some of these were so large as to contain forty or forty-five men, while others were so small as only to hold one person, with many intermediate sizes between these extremes. These they worked along with paddles, formed like a baker's peel, or the implement which is used in dressing hemp. These oars or paddles were not fixed by pins to the sides of the canoes like ours, but were dipped into the water and pulled backwards, as if digging. Their canoes are so light and artfully constructed that if overset they soon turn them right again by swimming, and they empty out the water by throwing them from side to side like a weaver's shuttle, and when half emptied they laid out the rest with dried calabashes cut in two, which they carry for that purpose. The second day the natives, as said before, brought various articles to barter for such small things as they could procure in exchange. Jewels or materials of any kind were not seen among them except some small plates of gold which hung from their nostrils, and on being questioned from whence they procured the gold, they answered by signs that they had it from the south, where there was a king who possessed abundance of pieces and vessels of gold, and they made our people to understand that there were many other islands and large countries to the south and southwest. They were very covetous to get possession of anything which belonged to the Christians, and being themselves very poor, with nothing of value to give in exchange, as soon as they got on board, if they could lay hold of anything which struck their fancy, though it were only a piece of a broken glazed earthen dish or porringer, they leaped with it into the sea and swam on shore with their prize. If they brought anything on board, they would barter it for anything whatever belonging to our people, 
even for a piece of broken glass, insomuch that some gave sixteen large clues of well-spun cotton yarn weighing twenty-five pounds for three small pieces of Portuguese brass coin not worth a farthing. Their liberality in dealing did not proceed from their putting any great value on the things themselves which they received from our people in return, but because they valued them as belonging to the Christians, whom they believed certainly to have come down from heaven, and they therefore earnestly desired to have something from them as a memorial. In this manner all this day was spent, and the islanders, as before, went all on shore at night. End of section 117. This recording is in the public domain.